We have been um, in this series of messages, and we're actually wrapping it up today. The series of messages uh, inspired by the the words of the Advent song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've been looking at this this uh, song because it's filled with these uh, obscure titles for Jesus. Uh, words like Emmanuel, we just heard the song Emmanuel, uh, that means uh, God is with us. That means God is is our champion, that God is in our corner, God has our back. Um, uh, so we, we've heard about Emmanuel. Last week we heard about desire of nations. We heard that desire of nations means uh, the treasure of nations. And and what we what we saw last week is that the, the desire of nations is a title for Jesus because Jesus is what the nations desire, whether they whether they know it or, or not. But what we also saw last week is the nations are what Jesus desires. So we've been looking at these titles, and today we're going to look at uh, the last one we have time for, uh, a day spring. And if you've got to leave early, I'll tell you right now, I'll cut to the chase. Dayspring is just an obscure term for dawn. Uh, dawn is a word that's used throughout the Bible to describe God's action, um, and particularly to describe Jesus at work in the world. So, so the word dawn is just an obsolete word. It comes from the King James Bible, and it, it, it says, it says the, the, the dawn from on high, the dayspring from on high will visit us. And that's what our translation says, except that they've changed it from from uh, a day spring to dawn. They've also taken taken another poetic word out. They took the visit. They said, well, in English, dawns don't really visit you so much as break on you. So they changed that. And that's kind of a shame. The nature of translations is you lose some of the poetry, but you you keep uh, the clarity. So so that's our translation. Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, dawn. Um, you know, uh, this is the first time, uh, the first place I've ever been able to preach a... a um, a sunrise service at 10 in the morning. Um, I, I checked with an almanac and the sun rose. I don't know if you noticed it. The sun rose about 10 minutes ago. And um, maybe maybe some of you are aware that yesterday was the winter solstice. And so we're already getting longer days. Today is going to be nine seconds longer than yesterday. So I uh, hope you've figured out something to do with that extra time. And uh, uh, by Christmas, it'll be two minutes longer. And by... Um, uh, in the middle of January, I forget the 9th or 10th of January, we'll actually be back up to a full six hour, uh, six hours of daylight. So, um, enjoy that. I've been thinking about that because one of the, one of the theories, there's a whole bunch of theories about how Christmas came to be set on December 25th. And, and one of the most popular, uh, theories is that it was, uh, early Christians ad- adapting a pagan holiday. The, the pagans would celebrate the fact that the sun had finally quit uh, uh, going away and had, had come back. Uh, the, the Romans had a holiday called, um, Saturnalia. They celebrated it when the sun came back. And, um, by the time that the, the empire was about ready to become Christian, they, uh, they had a holiday called Sol Invictus, the, the unconquered sun. And so you can imagine that, that Christians would have said, oh, but you don't know what the sun that's unconquered really is. And they, they might have done that. So, so that's one theory. Um, it's probably honestly not the best theory, but you can understand whether, whether you, whether you believe that theory or not, you can understand the appeal of that. You know, we've been in this, this long slide from like, uh, uh, July 1st or, uh, June 21st, I guess really, but, but it seems like all summer long I've been noticing the days have been getting shorter and, and, and then they got really short and then they got, uh, hard to find. And so, so now we're, we're in this, uh, this uh, dark days of winter, but but the promise is they're getting longer, and so we can 
we can say, good, I, I, I know that summer's coming, but I would just like some evidence of it. Okay, it's been a long time since I saw any evidence of summer, and it's good to, to have some. Nine seconds of evidence today and, and more as we, as we look for it. So, um, we can understand why the dawn is such a popular metaphor. Why, why it's scattered throughout the Bible as this, as this metaphor for God's work in the world. That we know God is out there. We know God, uh, loves us and cares for us. But some days we just feel like we could use a little more evidence. We'd like a little bit of a sign that God's, God's at work. You know, whether it's uh, something going on in, in one of our relationships, you know, our, our husband or our wife, our, our kids, um, maybe our parents, there's something where we say, you know, I know that God is helping me deal with this better. I know that God is helping them uh, not be the kind of people that drive me crazy or whatever it is. Um, but I would just like a little more evidence of that. It would just be nice if I could just see a little bit of evidence of that. Because right now I'm feeling like, like it's the dead of winter and the days are very short. Or, or maybe it's our finances. Um, uh, maybe because we're, we're bad at managing our finances. Or maybe we've had help. Uh, Margo and I got a phone call uh, on Thursday uh, from the fraud division of one of the major credit card companies. Um, and they, it turns out we've been spending money all over the country. And so... So uh, Margo spent about an hour going through our our uh, uh, online thing, finding out which ones were really us and which ones weren't. And um, so sometimes we have help making our finances a mess. Sometimes we do it all by ourselves. But but whatever it is, we'd like to have some kind of evidence that God is God's aware of our problem and that God is maybe working somehow in us or or in the world in our circumstances to make things a little bit better. Maybe. Maybe it's our health. Maybe maybe it's it's uh, the health of somebody we care for. Maybe uh, you know we we look at we look at uh, I look at my mom. I look at my mom and I say, you know, how much is she still there? I don't even know. She's suffering from Alzheimer and she's there, but you know I just can't reach her anymore. And I just say I'd love some evidence that God is at work in this situation. I'd love to be able to see it instead of always having to trust. And and that makes the reading today, the reading about the dawn from on high, so pertinent. This idea of, I know it, but I don't see it, and I'd love to have some kind of sign from God. So so what I want to do is I want to look at this passage. It is it is um, set at the time roughly of Jesus. This is the birth of John the Baptist that just happened. And his father, Zechariah, um, found out about it uh, in the previous chapter, or earlier in the chapter, certainly. And... Um, uh, the problem for Zechariah is it's been 500 years since God was was uh, super evident in the life of Israel. It's not that it's not you know Zechariah was a priest. He saw signs of God at work in the world all the time. I'm sure, but he longed for that kind of visible sign that God had somehow been at work in his own life and in the life of his country. It's been 500 years. Last week we were we were set about 520 B.C. and now we're roughly the the somewhere between you know. 4 B.C. and 2 A.D., whatever. The, the numbers are a little fuzzy there. But it's the time Jesus is about to be born. He'll be born in a few months. Uh, and his cousin John has just been born. So uh, Zechariah is longing, uh, has been longing, and uh, he had been longing right up to the day when the uh, he was in the temple uh, and an angel showed up and said, said, hey, what you've been hoping for is going to happen. God's going to get to work in a way that everyone's going to appreciate. Um, you're going to see this. And Zechariah said, uh, said, well, how? 
And he said, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah said, well, I'm too old for that. Um, how about something I can believe in? And the angel said, wrong answer. And so the, so, so the angel uh, said, you're going to be mute for the next nine months. I'm going to give you some quality time. Uh, he appears from the text to have been deaf as well. Uh, so he gets some time to think this all over, what it is that God is doing. And so, so now the baby has been born and he finally gets to say something and he opens up his mouth and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives this prophecy. It's a prophecy that has been um, uh, uh, described as a song. You see it's kind of in poetic form and uh, uh, maybe he's saying, I don't know, um, the, the, this passage of Luke's, uh, this portion of Luke's Bible, uh, Luke's Gospel has got several songs in it. Uh, we just sang one earlier today, the Magnificat, the Canticle of the Turning we sang earlier. That's where, where Mary sings a song and they've adapted it and put it to music for us. So this is a different song. In the old church it was called the Benedictus from the first word, blessed. Um, he says, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has looked favorably on his people. This is one of those places they flattened it out. They say, it actually says he has visited his people. And, and it's a shame, in order to get it, the meaning across, they kind of took away the visits. And so you don't see, there's kind of a, um, a beginning and end. God has visited his people in the past, and God will visit when the dawn um, from on high visits them. So, uh, you know, it's just the nature of translation. We lose some things. But he said, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited his people, or he has looked on his people, and redeemed them. He's raised up a mighty Savior for us in the south of it, house of his servant David. Um, this hasn't happened yet. Jesus has not yet been born. But I think the last nine months, if, if they've taught Zechariah anything, they've taught uh, Zechariah that when God says something, it's as good as done. So he says, he says, he has raised up for us a mighty Savior in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, and and the point that he's making here, he talks about he talks about the Lord God, which God, the God of Israel, for he that God has looked favorably on who his people, he has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets as from of old. What Zechariah is getting at here is that this is not an accident. God didn't wake up one morning and flip a coin and say, I'm going to be evident in the world. He says, this is really what God has done. God has been in relationship with his people from of old. And it's our our challenge sometimes to see it. But this is not some, some arbitrary act that some days God does and some days God doesn't. That God has always been in relationship with us. That God will go on being in relationship with us. And he says, the promise from of old is we would be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. And maybe you say, well, I don't know about that. I don't have any enemies. Um, and, and good. That, that's a good thing that, that maybe uh, you need to have your credit card stolen. Um, and then you change your mind about that. But, but whether or not you've got enemies, whether you perceive any enemies, is not the point. Because he says God rescues us from the hand of our enemies for a purpose. He says he's shown mercy, promised to our ancestors... And remember his holy covenant, God has continued to be in relationship with us. According to the oath he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us, and here's the purpose, that when we have been rescued from our enemies, when we've been rescued from our enemies, we may serve him without fear. That all the things that have kept us from serving God, these different empires that have come in and said you have to serve our empire, um, that they're out of the picture. 
that God would rescue us from these enemies who've kept us from serving Him. So we could serve Him. We could actually serve God instead of uh, these different emperors. And then he says, not just that, but we would do so in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. That God would not only change our external circumstances, get rid of these empires, the things that block us from serving God, but He would also work in us. He would transform us so that we could be holy and we could be righteous. We could serve Him in holiness and righteousness all our days. And then he says about John, he says, you'll be a prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the forgiveness of their sins. The forgiveness of sins is not salvation. It is it is a way we can know we are saved, that God is in relationship with us. And the forgiveness of sins is just the tip of the iceberg. It is the way we know that God has acted in order to save us from these other things, to save us from our circumstances and to save us from the things that are wrong inside of us, that God is at work making us into the kind of people who can serve him in righteousness. And then the verse, the verse we're looking for, he says, he says, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us or will visit us to give light to those who sit in darkness and to guide our feet. So why dawn? Why dawn? Why does he say dawn? Well, it is biblical. It's all through the Old Testament that this this image of God as dawn is is all through the, the Bible, but that doesn't answer the question, why is it in the Bible? Why does he say dawn? And the reason is because it's people who sit in darkness. Years ago, my family visited Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, and one of the things they do there is they you traipse around looking at stalactites all, all afternoon, and then at some point they lead you off into a little cavern by yourself, and they turn off the lights, and you get to experience what real darkness is. And um, it, it's it's unnerving, and I can understand when it says when it says um, it says those who sit in darkness. If I was in Carlsbad Caverns after having been walked around all the pits and stalactites, and it got dark, I think the smartest thing you can do is sit down and not move because you don't know if you're going to go fall into some big hole. Um, so so people who are in true darkness, people who are in spiritual dark, darkness. Um, they are in danger. They are in danger of bumping into things. They're in danger of falling into things. And so a, a reasonable thing to do is to sit down when you're in darkness. And he says, to give light. When when they, I, I can't remember what he did. I think he turned on his cell phone, right? He unflipped his cell phone back in those days, the uh, flip phones, right? And there was just a little bit of light from the keys, and it was enough, right? Because our eyes had accommodated a total darkness, um, and, you know, they're probably this big, and... And just the light from the keypad on his cell phone was enough. Suddenly we could see everything. Dawn is an accommodation to darkness. See, God could blaze down with a noontime light. The other day I was driving in, um, if you back up, yeah. <laughs> this is noon in Alaska. I sent some, some people a picture of this. Um, but I was on C Street trying to figure out whether that light was green or red. And this is at C Street and Diamond. I had no idea because... The sun was right there. God could blaze down with noontime lightness, light, um, but God doesn't. God accommodates our weakness. God, God accommodates the fact that we're in the dark by giving us dawn. But dawn is more than that. Dawn is also the promise of more to come. It's not just weakness. It's not just accommodating weakness. It's a promise that there will be more, that noon is coming. And so God is the the dawn from on high that is visiting us. So 
Let me wrap up by saying this. What does this dawn do? He says, he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness so they can stand back up. They're not afraid to, to move around. And then for those who were moving around, bumping into things, to guide their feet. They've been lost. They don't know where they're going. Some going this way, some going that way. Bumping into things, falling into pits. And he says, instead they'll be able to guide their feet onto the way of peace. The message that Zechariah wants us to hear, and we'll hear it all through the Christmas story. If you come back Tuesday night, you'll hear the angels sing about it. It is peace. See, God does not want us to get back on the straight and narrow so that we can serve him, even in righteousness and holiness. God wants us to experience peace. So whether whether the things that, that you're looking for, light, maybe maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's it's uh, a job problem, a school problem, uh, I heard about rest earlier, um, uh, whatever it is that gives you anxiety, God wants to give you peace. God wants to bring light into your life so that you can have peace. That's what the proclamation of the angels was, and it's what Zechariah tells us. We will have peace. Jesus is the dawn. He's the dawn from on high. And he comes first as a baby, a little dawn. But the promise is, in God's time, he will be noon. We will have light. We will serve God in righteousness and holiness all our days. And in the meantime, as we wait on God's time, don't be anxious. Don't try harder. Have peace. Relax. Noon is coming. Thanks be to God. Amen.